Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in. We start in three, two, one. Lasting God, we thank you. We thank you for the word that you have put in Reverend Shiramba's heart. We thank you that Lord, um, he's here and ready and available to be used. I pray that Father, he would decrease, that you would increase, and that he, this word would find fertile ground, ground ready, hearts ready to receive you and hear from you. We bless and honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Koi. Thank you. Those who are leading us in sound worship, we are very grateful. May God bless you abundantly. For our visitors, we want to welcome you to the Karura Community Chapel. For this month, we are looking at the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, ch- chapter 1 and 2. Um, so far, we've looked at the whole of chapter 1. Last week, we looked at chapter 2 from verse 1 to 3. And today, we look at chapter 2 from verse 4 all the way to 17. And our theme is image bearers recognizing the fact that we've been made in the image of God and our role is to display God to all creation, is to mirror God to all creation. And so today our subtopic is work and the Sabbath rest. We had addressed the whole issue of Sabbath rest last week, but there were several questions that came through that we need to respond to at some point. But the reason we are told to work is because God Worked. So we reflect, we display who God is, we display the character of God by working. And so the book of Genesis uh, begins to give us the how God, Genesis chapter 1, how God worked. From verse 1, it just says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it begins to unfold how He created heaven and earth. You and I know that God does not need six days to create. He would have done it in a split second. And the only reason I believe that we are given all the details of all his activity of work was for our sake. It is to give us an example of how we are to work. And the writer of the book of of, uh, Genesis uh, from chapter 1, he begins by not only telling us the fact that God worked and created, but he begins by showing us in the workshop itself how it was initially. And he goes straight to that. And so in verse 2 of chapter 1, he says how the earth was empty. How the earth was formless. And how the earth was covered by darkness. And, And I suspect the writer to the book of Genesis understood, especially after the fall of man, how difficult this whole concept of work can be. Because there could be some of you here, when you talk of work, that vacuumness, that emptiness just arises. Maybe you've been thinking of starting a project or you've been thinking of doing something And when you think about it, you're just empty. It's just because you can't see how it will be done. And it is important from the way God teaches us here. Work is not employment. Because here, God is not employed. He's just creating. And you will begin to see that. Although employment could be part of work, but work is much wider. And so you want to work and it's just difficult. You, You become blank. 
or you're here and even it could be part of your employment or your work and there is just formlessness. There's just disorder. And this is usually very common, especially in developing countries. You want to do something, you're given a list of licenses, you're just given a whole bureaucratic uh, system to follow, and the whole thing just becomes very difficult. Or there's a lot of frustration to the extent that you may be employed, but you're feeling frustrated inside, or your, your own work just becoming more and more difficult. Or just darkness. Darkness. You can't see any hope. And I think the writer to the book of Genesis puts that specifically here. Because God had to face a similar situation and never gave up. In fact, it says the spirit of the Lord was hovering over that kind of situation. He was incubating creation from that situation. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... That same Holy Spirit who created, who incubated creation, who worked, is in you. The Spirit of the Lord that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. And what God is saying by putting that here is, don't be discouraged. I was there, I knew, and I never gave up. And so maybe you're here and the whole area of work is such a frustrating area right now. I want to encourage you. That God is fully aware. And he puts that word there. That even as we go through the frustration, we are displaying him. And how we handle that frustration is important. Because we image, as image bearer, we are reflecting who he is and how he handled some of these complex situations. And so the writer to the book of Genesis goes straight to God's action, to God's work. And then he says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Hope. And he goes on to enumerate to us how God created day by day, step by step. And you begin to realize that it's not just activity for the sake of activity. You begin to realize that God had a plan. Because if God did not have a plan, he would have, he would have created the human being and then start wondering, where will this human being stay? But first, he's, he, he says this light, and then he separates the waters from the waters, he separates the waters from the land, and then he brings the human being. But if, if, if you don't want that, he would even have stopped on the fourth day and just have the birds. But there's a clear plan on how God created. And so if you and I are to reflect how God does his things, we need to plan ourselves. We can't just live our lives as let others plan for us. We must display God by how we plan our work, how we plan ourselves. But as we got to last week, one of the things you realize is that not only God is not only God implementing this plan, but this plan is coming out of a vision. It's coming out of a goal. And so if you and I are to reflect God, we must have a vision. We must have a goal. We have, must have a reason why we are creating. And when we looked at the whole concept of the seven-day creation, we realized that God's vision, God's goal is Sabbath rest for all his creation. That's his vision. That's his goal. Sabbath rest. And we said 
There would, there, would, there would have been no reason why God would have had another day, a seventh day. He would have finished on the sixth day and gone if the whole purpose was just man. But the purpose was the seventh day. And then on this seventh day, he blessed it. He consecrated it. And he set it aside. He made it holy. And so if you and I really are to work meaningfully, if we are to have, we, if we are to have a plan, if we are to do the activity, we need, we need a plan, but we need a vision. And our vision, if we are to reflect God, must reflect God's vision. And God's vision is the Sabbath rest. I, I thought I had actually finished the whole question of Sabbath uh, last Sunday. But I received a lot of questions in the course of the week that I thought, if this is God's vision, and if we are going to address work meaningfully, I must then address those questions. Now, you may not have these questions, but I, I just thought, let me just address them so that no one is left behind. So these are the questions. The first question that I received, and I just tried to put all of them together. It's, it, it is, is the Sabbath day unique from any other days, from other days of the week? Or is every day alike in accordance with Romans chapter 14, verse 5 to 6, and also Galatians chapter 4, verse 10? The second question is, is the observation of Sabbath day still relevant in today's world? Was it not limited to the Old Testament, the Mosaic law? And the third question was, how should one handle emergencies and essential services on a Sabbath day? Then the fourth one was, should the Sabbath day be observed on Saturdays, that's the seventh day, or Sunday is the first day of the week? So allow me to first address the whole question of if Sabbath is unique. If Sabbath is unique in the sense that God set it aside, he blessed it, isn't any other day, isn't, isn't it just like any other day? And the, the concern arises from these two, uh, from these two uh, chapters. Romans chapter 14, verse 5 to 6 which says one person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so in the, to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So one of the things, and this is very important, because what happens is we meet together as God's people, and then we go back to where we live, we go back to where we work, we go back to where we, 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 we socialize and so on and so forth. So to a certain level, whenever you go where you are, you are the church where you are. You are the representative of God where you are. And so it's so important that you understand scripture and you read scripture for yourself. No pastor should be able to read the Bible for you. You should read it. And so these are very important questions. And so whenever people ask me such questions, I feel blessed. I really feel nice. One, it shows you are interested in what's happening. But two, it, it makes those of us who stand up here to know that we can't just cheat you. We just can't do what we want, which is very important for me. You are like the Bereans. And so when, when you find yourself, I am saying that Sabbath is unique, and you find yourself with such a passage, you need to go into the context of Romans chapter 14, verse 5 to 6. What was Paul addressing? One, you realize the, day, the Sabbath day is not mentioned here. But Paul here is addressing the whole issue of the stronger brother and the weaker brother. There were people, they had just become either believers. And for them, 
to remind themselves not to do certain things and so on and so forth, they would set certain days aside or apart so that they are not engaged or involved in things they were involved in. I knew of a certain young men, um, they would, on Friday, that was the day when they would go to these social places. And they just came to know the Lord and they decided, I'll make sure I'm out of town so that no one will call me to go to these social places. And then Koi has just mentioned about Hugging Day. I don't know whether she said National or International Day. These are the days they are talking about. You know the people whose love langu language is touch? They are the ones who probably said that. Now, if your love language is not touch, don't condemn them. Don't look down upon them. They have set it aside so that they can feel loved, isn't it? This is what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about the Sabbath rest. Does that make sense? Second one is Galatians chapter 4, verse 10. It says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Again, here, Paul is addressing the Galatians because what is happening is the Galatians are beginning to go back to works for salvation. It's about justification. So it's not about the Sabbath rest, but it's about what they are relying on for their salvation. And Paul is saying, look, you cannot do this. And again, the Sabbath here is not mentioned. So the context is very important when you are addressing some of this issue. In fact, it is such a dangerous thing to lift verses out of context and quote them as if they have, they, they have this decisive, uh, uh, they are so decisive without the context. And a lot of that is happening. A lot of that is happening. And that's why we call you to read the scripture for yourself, to search, to ask questions like the Bereans. The other question that had to do with the, the Sabbath, whether, it's, uh, whether it belonged to the mosaic, whether it's still relevant today, I'll try and answer it by looking at the three sets of biblical laws. The, Bibl the Bible has, and it's not always explicit, but sometimes you can see them. This has always been used from the time of people like Aquinas over the years. There, is a law called the, there are laws called the moral laws. And then there are other laws, they are called the civil laws. And then there are others, they are called the ceremonial laws. Now, the law on Sabbath is in all the three set of laws, which is very unique. Because you hardly find a law that is in all the three. So let, let me try and explain the moral law. The moral law, this consists mainly of the Ten Commandments. And they are embedded in creation. So for example, you'll find the Sabbath rest, it is in the Ten Commandments. And even before Moses was born, God had already rested on the seventh day. And he had said, we should rest on that day. So it is embedded in creation, which means they are binding on all human beings everywhere in every age at all times, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. They are unchanging. They cannot be abolished. And that applies to the Sabbath law, that it cannot be changed. And the way the Ten Commandments are set, if you disobeyed any one of them at any one time, so for example, if you are five years old and you broke one, or 10 years or 20, and you broke even one, you the penalty was death. And Jesus comes and says, I have not come to abolish the law. The civil laws, so the Sabbath law is clearly in the moral law, which means it cannot be changed. The civil laws, these were laws given by, by God to the Israelites because they, 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 they were, the fact that they were a nation. But the principles in those laws could be used and applied even to our day in the New Testament. 
So let me give you an example. In Exodus chapter 21, just after, after the Ten Commandments, now these are the civil laws. Moses tells the Israelites this. If a bull goes a man or a woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death. And if its meat must, and its meat must not be eaten, but the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. Verse 29. If, however, the bull has not had the habit of guarding and, and the owner has been warned but has not kept it penned up and it kills a man or a woman, the bull is to be stoned and its owner also is to be put to death. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. So the concept here was, if you don't know that the bull was a dangerous bull, then it kills somebody. Then you will not be penalized for that. But if somebody had warned you, and then you let it free and it killed somebody, you'd also be killed. But if the family feels maybe you're not worth of even death, then they'll fine you. You bring that principle to 2024 at, here at uh, Karura Community Chapel. And the principle applies. Maybe you run a matatu or a motorcycle. And you don't know that, I mean, you had serviced it, you had done this, and then an accident happens, and accidents happen. Then there is a way that you'll be judged. But if you've been warned that the brakes of this matatu or the brakes of this motorcycle or the brakes of this bike are not good, and you do nothing about it, and it kills people, it causes an accident, then you are responsible because you knew. So it is the application of that principle that comes. Now, the challenge with this civil law is that the Sabbath law is also found in these civil laws. Which means its principles can be applied to various contexts. And the principle of the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath day is rest one day in seven. And so the person who is asking about emergencies or the essential services, you cannot go to a police station and say, hey, close this police station, it's Sabbath. The principle, the civil law applies. In the sense, you work today, but another day in the week you rest. That is the civil law. Or in the case of an emergency, like Jesus said, if your donkey falls in a hole, you can remove it. But if it keeps falling in the hole the same day every week, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> so it is, it's about the principle. So for those who are asking about when and how, this means this law can be applied from the civil law. Now, the ceremonial law. So, the, you, so there are some laws you will never even find in the ceremonial law. And there are some ceremonial laws you will never find in the moral law. So for example, the slaughtering of goods or even the Passover, you will never find it in the moral law. All right? But you'll find it in the ceremonial law. Because this consists of ceremonies that that were offered as substitutionary deaths for one's own violation of the moral law. Because anytime you break the moral law, the penalty was death. And so every often people would come and slaughter an animal to remind themselves before God and acknowledge the fact that we are the ones who deserve to die, but the animal has died in our place. But of course, that is that's a bit foolish. For, for goat, a goat to die for me, I'm not a goat, so I need another person to die for me. But everybody has sinned, so we needed one person who has never sinned to be able to die for me, for the ceremonial law to make sense. And so these ceremonial laws pointed to the future death and redemption of sinners by Christ Jesus. 
And by his death and his resurrection, these laws were fulfilled. And Jesus fulfilled the requirements of this. And there are therefore no more binding on all those who have accepted Jesus Christ. The challenge is the Sabbath law is in the ceremonial law. Which means it has been fulfilled. But it also means it can be applied according to context. But it also means you can't get rid of it. Allow me to give you an example of a ceremonial law. In Leviticus chapter 16 verse 20. When Aaron finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of the meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the life goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the life goat and confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of somebody appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. This was a shadow. It was, it was a sign. It was pointing to Christ who would take all our sins and carry them. And therefore, we no longer slaughter goats. But there were some ceremonial laws that were very interesting after Christ came. So like the Passover, it was to remind the Israelites how they left Egypt. But when the Passover, it was observed once a year. But when Jesus died, we now observe the Passover regularly. So that ceremonial law did not go away completely. It changed in context. Another one was circumcision. Circumcision was the way for the Israelites to belong to God's people. But after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was replaced with baptism. So believers become part of the community through baptism in the sense that they, they come, they show we have died, a physical side, that we've, we've died with Jesus Christ and we'll be raised with him. So there's no longer need for any circumcision. But in the case of the Sabbath, there are certain things there that are fulfilled, but there are certain things that are yet to come. So let me read Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 17. It says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, a celebration, or a, or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In other words, the substance of the Sabbath the vision of all creation, the substance is Christ. He is the Sabbath. The question is, his, this, this Sabbath was a shadow, but has it done its work? Is it the work complete? The answer is no. The shadow remains because even though we have found rest in Christ, there is a final rest that is going to come. And so within these three laws, finding all the Sabbath in it, you realize that it is in the moral law, we still must keep it. It's in the civil law, it can apply accordingly. But also it's in the ceremonial law. It has been fulfilled, but in part. This is what John Piper says to the question about whether we meet on Sunday or Saturday. John Piper says this, Jesus rose on the first day of the week. In other words, what John Piper is saying Adam rested or found his Sabbath. God rested on the seventh day after all the creation and Adam rested with God. That was the first day for Adam. 
And so he rested in God's completed creation. To enjoy God's creation. He was not, his role was not to do God's work, but to enjoy God's work. And he's saying that after the fall, God's gone back to work. And on the first day when Jesus rose, he completed that work of redeeming us. So the resurrection vindicated the completion of the Father's redeeming work, the new creation. The new humanity was purchased and established. But it's not yet consummated. There's still a time when Jesus will return. And so a day remains in the Christian church because of the, the witness is still needed. That this self-reliant, self-sufficient world which relies on its own work, that is working and working and totally depending on itself and its work, it needs a witness from the, the church on the day called the Lord's Day. That our work does not save us, and, and the money we get from our work is not our ultimate treasure. Our ultimate treasure is the Lord. He says this. He continues to say this. The Bible gives this day in a weak preeminence by calling it the Lord's day. That is in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. Because the church began to call it the Lord's day in that sense. And he says it remains until Jesus comes, the Lord's day. In essence, this is a special day. The first day of the week, Sunday, is therefore set apart by the early church for the glory of Christ who's created or recreated again for the good of man and for all creation. And so, Sabbath is the vision of all creation. Sabbath is the goal of all creation. And it's only from Sabbath that we can make our plans for work. And once we've made our plans, then we can action them based on the vision if we are to work reflecting God. This is what the Revelation chapter 21 verse 23 says. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamb. This is towards the end. What what, Paul, what, what, what the writer uh, John is saying here, he's saying there is coming a day. And that day, the early church called it the Lord's Day. There is coming a day when there will be only one day. You see, the whole concept of Sabbath is by revelation. But today, anyone can see. It's a process of nature. So, 24 hours, the, the, the sun, the, the earth goes around its axis. That's 24 hours, day and night. Everybody can see that. When it comes to the month, it's a process of the lunar system about the moon. And everybody can see that. When it comes to the one year, the earth has gone round the sun. That's one year. But what about the Sabbath? What is it based on? It's revelation. Established by God. In fact, during the, French during the French Revolution, one of the things they decided to do is to have a 10-day week. Just to ensure things change completely. But it never worked. Because Sabbath is by revelation. Because there's something special that is going to happen. It is the vision of work. It is the, what work should be planned around. And it gives us direction. 
Because there will be a time when there will only be one day. There will be no more weeks. There will be no more months. There will be no more years. The sun and the moon will not be needed. There will only be one everlasting day. And that day is called Sabbath. But it is not yet. And but the embodiment of this Sabbath rest has come. The purchaser, the Lord of this Sabbath has come. We can have this glorious taste to foretaste of the peace that he brings. The Sabbath remains. But it's not yet. We will test the final reality. Even right now, as we have a foretaste, those of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ. And the regular Sabbaths we have every Sunday symbolizes and reminds us of that day where we are going. It reminds us of that rest. It reminds us of the joy and the treasure that we are heading to. It is the day that we are looking forward to. The Lord's day. Revelation, rather Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 9 to 11 says this. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For everyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will, be, will, will perish by following their, their example of disobedience. Those who disobeyed God and they did not know about the rest of God, the rest, the Sabbath that is coming. He's saying, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, make every effort to know him so that you don't miss the vision of creation, so that you don't miss God's purpose for creation. And it is only from this vision that you and I can make plans and can get an identity. In fact, I used to wonder, what is, what is so special about Sabbath? What did Adam do with God on that first Sabbath? He had just been created and is called for the first day. Until I saw what happened when Jesus was just about to start his work. The Holy Spirit and God the Father gathered around him. And they told him, the Father told him, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, he who created all things meets with Adam and gives him an identity. He tells him, you can rest in my completed work and you're my child. And it's only after that that Adam, from the passage we read, is sent to work. In other words, Sabbath gives us an identity. Because the first thing that Satan does to attack Jesus is to attack his identity. He asks him, if you are the son of God. In other words, one, putting Jesus in a place where he can doubt his identity as the son of God. You see, the danger with work is that we can, if we don't have a clear identity of who we are, we can begin to find our identity in work. And this is more so for men. And that's why as men, whenever we meet, we ask ourselves, what's your name and what do you do? And then I categorize you immediately. The danger 
with finding our identity bound up with what we do with our work is that we begin to find our self-worth in our work. We begin to find our significance in our work. But we need to find our significance in God. That's why in the passage we read, you realize as God puts aside this garden, he puts two trees right in the middle. One tree was the tree of life. The second tree was a tree of good and evil. And Adam is told, as you work, don't touch this tree of good and evil. In other words, always voluntarily and joyfully choose God as your identity and focus and not your work yourself. Because the moment you begin to make work your God and work becomes your identity, you run the danger of destroying yourself. So if you become very successful, you begin to get a superiority complex. It goes into your head and you begin to think that you are God. Just like Nebuchadnezzar. You begin to think you are the one who's done it. And these things become where you find your significance. But if you fail, it destroys you by going to your heart. Through inferiority complex. You begin to feel inferior. And so when you make your work your identity, you run the risk of complete failure or complete success, but success that will destroy you. God, in focusing us on the Sabbath, gives us an identity that is unique. And throughout history, it has been clearly said, people who know where they are going and people who know who they are, they work hardest, smartest, and at most excellent in this world. They do things other people don't want to do because their identity is not in what people think about them. But their identity is in what God thinks about them. Because you realize in this garden, it is God who puts Adam there. And Adam is to understand that God is his employer. And God is his supervisor. And so the Bible says, work as working unto the Lord. And so when you get your identity right, then you begin to do, to do your work, not because you're being told to do it or not to please anyone, but because you know your identity. My first job was an interesting one. I got into this job. We were being paid by taxpayers. And the government needed the outcomes of our work within a certain period. So what we would do during the day is, and it was a system, I already found it there. We would just sit on the work. We didn't do anything. Then when evening comes, we say, we need overtime. And we would be paid. And the money was good. And we enjoyed it. But I got to a place, I began to realize this thing is not only destroying me, and I don't want this to be in my blood because I have a greater goal and I have a greater identity. And this identity, whether I cheat the government or not, whether I cheat people or not, they may never know, but that is not my audience. 
it is the Lord God Almighty. Work. Work. Work then gives us dignity because God wants to dignify us. That's why he gives us work. It's, it's Martin Luther who says, he quotes the Psalms, he says, God feeds every living thing. But how does God do it? So for example, you want a cup of tea and some, some bread. It means somebody somewhere is growing some wheat or, and somebody somewhere is looking after some animals. Somebody somewhere is going to milk those cows. Somebody somewhere is going to transport that milk and, and that wheat. Somebody somewhere will bake. And then you're fed. And then the Bible says God has fed you. It means that the person who is milking that cow is doing God's work for God's creation. So your work is not just an aimless process, but it is a dignified work because you're doing God's work. And that is because of the vision that God has given to us. And that is why you hardly see in the Old Testament people being encouraged to either give things, things to people for free. And I've seen churches destroy people, churches destroy community. I've worked in the NGO world and I've seen communities destroyed. And they say, we don't have sponsors, we don't have this. And you see them destroyed generation after generation. The Old Testament system, you'll find it in the book of Ruth. When Ruth and her mother Naomi came, Ruth goes, she doesn't know these people. She doesn't, there was a system where if you want to give people they would go and glean when you're harvesting. And what they would do is any maize or grain that dropped as you harvested, the poor people came and collected it. What that did is it gave people dignity because they knew I've worked for it. Naomi, though she was old and she could not go to the land, she's the one who was teaching and encouraging and giving Ruth wisdom. So even if you're old, you still have a place of work, of mentoring others, like Naomi did. But there's something else in that story that's very interesting. Boaz kept pulling grain for Ruth to take. And there's a sense in which God does that to us. So we don't have to sit and be paralyzed. Because what God did in Genesis chapter 1, when it was all empty, when it was all darkness, when it was all orderless, he took action. And there is a sense in which God's people, many of them have plans. Many of them have ideas, but they fear stepping forward and taking action. And maybe God is just calling you today, whatever work he's put in your hands, whatever he's put in your hand, to take it to the next level to display his glory. That is why when God approached Moses, in, in, and told him to get the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. He asked him, what do you have in your hand? And when the Israelites got to the Red Sea and the, the Israelites, the Egyptians were behind them and the Red Sea was in front of them, God told Moses, take what you have in your hand and put it on the sea. And it opened up. And maybe for some of you, frustrated feeling, it's empty, it's dark, it's formless, disorderly, Maybe God is telling you, take your first step like he did. What do you have in your hand? And may the Lord give you identity. May the Lord give you dignity. I want to pray. You may know somebody who is frustrated because of this business of work. 
and you just want to uh, stand on their behalf even as I pray. We have such a dangerous, we're always dealing with dangerous issues with this issue of work because the Greeks had this very bad view of matter, of physical things. They said matter is ungodly, it's second class, but spiritual things are good. So they got slaves to work for them. But they wanted to be philosophers and all that, but they never wanted to work. And maybe some of you are here and you have that attitude that I, I, can't, I can't touch, I can't do certain work. The passage we read, God actually goes to the mud and forms man out of that dust. There is no job that has no dignity. And maybe you're stuck because you're saying, I can't go beneath where I am right now. There are people who their goal is not the Sabbath. Their goal is their status and the money that they have as I ask the worship team to please come up. And if your goal, if your vision is not based on God's vision, if your vision is yourself and your money, what tends to happen is you mess up society. So for example, if you're a doctor and people, somebody needs help, but for, your, for you, you just want to build up somewhere a house, buy a certain car, what happens is you don't attend to the suffering of your patients as such because your patients become a byproduct. They become just a by the way. And so just dealing with them as objects to meet your end become the main goal. And so some of our hospitals don't have medicine because some of the medical people, their goal is not the Sabbath rest, but it's their stomachs. Maybe you are a lawyer like Koi here. And justice is not your goal. Your goal is status. And so justice no longer becomes your focus. You are not serving people as unto the Lord because you are not seeing a bigger goal than the goal you have and you are messing up society. Maybe you are a teacher and you are brought a child and you cannot see that if you add value to this child, you'll reflect God because God added value to creation. And maybe you know people who are struggling in this work area. I just want to pray a prayer for you. I want to pray a prayer for those who are saying, God, I need revelation to know how to work. Maybe you are frustrated at some place or at your point on your things are held up. Some people want you to bribe and you're refusing and you're saying no. I want to honor God and to pray with you this, this, this afternoon. And if you're there, I just want to ask you to stand up. I want to pray with you, even as we sing this last song. You're there, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate Sabbath. The one in whom we find rest. And you're saying, today I want to know this Jesus Christ. That I may enter that rest. I want you to stand up. Because I want to pray with you. By asking you to stand up, you're giving not only a testimony to the congregation, but you're standing before God's people and saying, here I am, do something in my life today before God's people. I want to ask you to stand up where you are. Thank you so much, those who are standing. Feel free to stand up, take your time. Don't, you don't need to clap for them. Please, let them stand up. We just want to listen to the Lord as he speaks to us today.
Just feel free if you are there. Just feel free to stand up before God's people. It's a testimony, a testament. You have a project and you're asking God, I want to move this one to the next level to display and bear your image. Just stand up. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ or talk to or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721-990-880. God bless you.